beautiful friends and welcome back to Too Smart for This. I am beyond excited to have a new guest on the podcast. I know we haven't had them for a little bit, but this one was one of my favorite interviews ever. I am sure you can hear by the way that I react to so many things that our guest says that you'll be like, oh my God, she was having the time of her life. Madison Utendahl is today's guest, and I am really excited because I feel like she encompasses what Too Smart for This is really about. She's a multi-hyphenate. She's a public speaker, writer, branding, and creative genius, and founded her own branding and design agency, Utendahl Creative, in 2019. It has an all-female team of 10, and it's a go-to for innovative brands like Simon Huck's Judy, Halsey's About Face, and Chris Paul's Good Eaton. This is absolutely incredible. I really loved hearing her story because Madison has always been an ambitious woman and she explains how she went from, you know, being a college graduate and going into a job where she was really burning herself out to reframing the way that career has to look in both her life and really doing that on the world stage with her creative agency and how she's brought sort of rest and making sure that we can all be our best selves into her own job and the jobs of other people as well. And I really enjoyed this conversation because I felt like she brought she reframed for me how to approach building a life with a little bit more intention. And I really just like enjoyed so much of this conversation. I think you all will too, so I will be I will let us get into it now. Please make sure to follow Madison after you listen to this app. And make sure you're checking out everything that she's got going on because I really love her approach to social media too. And of course, Two Collective, we launched new patches for Valentine's Day. I know this will come out after Valentine's Day, but if you want some cute little patches and a new robe to treat yourself to a little self-care, make sure you're checking those out too at twocollective.com. And with that, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the show. Thank I'm you for having so me. I'm so excited to talk me too. to you. Me too. Uh, this is going to be so fun, I think. Uh, you were actually, I forgot about this. I asked people like who we should have on, and yeah. one time someone like sent your name in. So it was oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Getting this off scheduled. So yeah. Thanks for being here. Of course. I want to get started. I sent you, so we've talked about this a little bit before, but you're in the creative world. Yes. And when you Google you, it says that you identify as a multi hyphenate. Yes. A lot of us, especially the listeners of this show, feel that way. So I'm curious because a lot of us feel like we have to have one goal or yeah. one thing or like be a star type A in just one industry. Yeah. So when did you recognize you were multi-hyphenate and start to embrace it? I love that's a great question. When did I recognize I was multi-hyphenate? This is something I like shifted probably about two years ago. I spent like a long time identifying as a strategist, or at the time I was like a social media executive, a marketing executive. But it felt like it didn't encompass all of me. And I felt like I was always like selling myself short or like only talking about the work identity of me. And so it felt really disingenuous when people were like, what do you do or how do you define yourself? And I was only using a work reference. Mm -hmm. And so about two years ago, I was listening to, um, of course, I'm blanking on the podcast name, but Lovey A.G. Jones was speaking about how she identifies. And she said, I'm a multi-hyphenate. I'm X, Y, and Z. And I thought to myself, I was like, wait that's actually like a, a way better representation of 
an individual who does many different things mm-hmm. and acknowledging all those things while also saying nothing at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, what does a multi-hyphenate mean? Right. It leads to the next part of the conversation, right? Which is explaining what all those categories are. But it gives you the permission, or at least for me, the permission to be like, I'm many things at once. I love that. Yeah. And so what are your many things for that? So I identify, I mean, like, from a personal perspective as a black person, as a woman, right? Like I identify as a writer, a storyteller, a CEO, a producer, on camera host, a strategist, like just so many things, you know? And like, who the hell wants to read or have me when I first meet you be like, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. You're like, give me a break. You know what I mean? Like no one's here. So mostly I mean, it just feels like it takes it all. Yeah, it takes yeah. it all. Can you yeah. walk us back, I guess, on your career trajectory? Yeah. Like, a lot of our listeners starting are starting in college. Yeah. So can you take us to, like, college you freshman yeah. year and then bring us to today? Yes. So freshman year, Madison was very lost. Mm. I had spent all of my, which I highly recommend. Like, I think everyone should do it, especially for your college listeners. I took every summer in college to intern in a completely different area, which was amazing because it taught me what I didn't want to do. So I learned I didn't want to be in casting. I learned I didn't want to be a photographer. I learned I absolutely did not want to work in fashion in a magazine. But I then left being like, okay, no, I don't want to do these things. But what do I want to do then? Like, I've answered only part of my career exploration. But I knew what was true is that, like, I wanted to be in film and television. I wanted to storytell. And so I started HBO, essentially. That was the catalyst for me as a storyteller. I've ended up like taking many routes in and out of TV because it's a tough environment. There's, as we just saw, a writer's strike. Just things happen. And so until you're Shonda Rhimes, like you're kind of in this gig to gig way of working, which is really hard in your 20s, right? It's really hard to be like on a show for eight months. And then like, you know, this is also pre where like freelancing was the norm like it is now. Um, So first grad out of college, went to HBO and started on a show called Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, Mm. which at the time was called the John Oliver Show. Um, And I was just like a jack of all trades. I bought people cigarettes and did research. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like That was what my job was. Like I had a boss who every single day I got off the subway and I bought her a Red Bull and a pack of cigarettes. And then (laughs) that was always my first responsibility (laughs) when I woke up in the morning. And eventually in time, it evolved to being able to sit in writer's room and give feedback and research subject matters that we were about to explore on the show. And I would say that like the part of myself that I'm proud of and the part of all individuals starting out in their careers is the belief system that like you are not above or better than any part of the early stages of your job. Absolutely. You're just, no, there's this energy right now of like, I went to college, I'm not doing this. I've, I've seen that. I mean, in my, even in my internship at Google, I remember there being other interns who were like, I'm not going to go to the mail room or whatever. And I was like, if they ask you to go to the mail room, go to the mail room. Go to the mail room. Do it, you know? Like, the yeah. work ethic is important. It's yeah. super important, but it also needs to be top down. Like, people need to see that their CEOs and their managers are also going to the mail room. Mm-hmm. And we need to equalize these experiences in so many ways because it's just this hierarchy ultimately that leads to what we'll get into, I'm sure, like burnout and just all the systemic structure around work that fucks people up, frankly. 100%. So So after HBO, where did you land after that? Um, I left HBO and went to Refinery29, which I loved. Like that was uh, probably the most creatively free I've ever been within a corporate structure. They were, it was the like boom of media. So it was Vice, Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, and all these companies were just thriving and, you know, quite an era. 
But I had the opportunity to hop around between different facets of what it meant to be a creative. I volunteered a lot. When I say volunteer, being like, and if they would say, do we know anyone who wants to like, take this on? And I would. But I looked at it as an opportunity to, again, see if I like something. Mm-hmm. We spent so much time fixated on what we what we like that like I don't think we spend enough time understanding what we don't like and so we find ourselves like so deep into things before we recognize we don't like it because we haven't spent enough time like understanding what are the nuances of things I don't like mm-hmm. but like I we're in a rush all the time. yeah we're in a rush and like sometimes people get it's like within relationships yeah. you know it's like if you don't do the homework in the beginning yeah you will wake up three years later and be like what the hell am I you know what I mean like Precisely. how the hell did I end up with this motherfucker um <laughs> <laughs> like you got to do the exploration yeah. so refinery gave me that permission again to be like i want to try this i like it i don't like it i loved working there i had the best boss she is the reason why i'm the boss that i am now she really believed in an equal system of of hierarchies meaning that everyone had great ideas there was no such thing as bad ideas she corrected our language something that like i didn't learn or know until i started working for her is that women have a tendency more than men to say this may sound stupid but yeah and she like would not let us use that language there was no idea that was a bad idea no matter if you were an intern or you were an executive she would green light shows for interns who had came up with ideas as much as she was the managing director Mm -hmm. and so working for her was a gift it taught me everything about how to be like a thoughtful compassionate boss and i pierre gillardi i owe her a lot I love that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's good to celebrate those types of bosses. Oh, yeah. So much about like feeling like uncomfortable in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And so when you actually get someone who really understands how to be with people, yeah. that's such a gift. So, yeah. And she just understood that like people just want to be heard. Mm. Yeah. And if you just hold space for people's creative ideas and like they won't resent you and they won't resent their job. It doesn't mean you have to greenlight their ideas. Right. But just like hold space. Exactly. Great moments where people can share. I love that. Yeah. So did you stay in media? When did you sort of start your own company? Yeah. yeah. So when I was at refineries, really when brands started to activate on Instagram and I became incredibly well versed on social strategy, pivoted there after being a refinery for a couple of years to being a founding partner and head of content and social at Museum of Ice Cream. I was there for two years. I've made this joke a thousand times, but like, I was just like, not made to work there. Like, it was just very pink and very white. And like, I was just like, this is not for me. You're a neutral girl? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I don't even, what I'm wearing today is like the extent of my color palette. There were some navies and greens in there, a couple browns, but like. And we're in a red male era. Yeah, right. Yes, this is a lot for me. I'm like showing off you know what I, mean? I'm like, I don't wear a lot of color so it was just not the right fit for so many reasons but I learned a lot about taking an idea and bringing it to life on my own right I've been working in these huge corporate structures for so long and I went to a five-person startup and so like I didn't have interns I didn't have a whole team behind me I didn't sit on a 50-person creative team so it taught me a lot that like if I have an idea And it's truly just a concept. How do I make it into something real? But after I'm severely lactose intolerant, I hate the color pink. I can't even like paint my... Yes, yes, girl. I was up there. I was like, for so many reasons, this is not for me. You know, I was like, I like, this is just not for me. Mm -hmm. And I took that and I was like, okay, if I can build this very successful brand on social and through marketing, right? At that point, we had billions of impressions we were selling out. And it was driven by the social media department, which is what I was running. I say department. I was like the only person on the team. Yeah. But I thought to myself, okay, if I can do this in a space where like, I don't feel like myself, 
I'm extremely burnt out. I'm, I'm frankly unhappy. And I'm still able to execute and build these brands. What would I be able to do when I was like happy, healthy, and then working for brands that I really cared about? Like if I can do this at this state, what does it mean for me to do it in the state where like I'm actually operating as my best self? Mm. So that became the catalyst for me to leave. Cause I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not operating and living like this anymore. This is absolutely, if it's just a privilege enough to be alive and to be in my position, I am like sabotaging that privilege by like accepting that this is how I should be living my life. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like absolutely. I got to a place where I was like, wait, 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 like I have like really accepted mediocrity at, of self not about like the the name, the title, but like the standards I've left for myself are so fucking low. Wow. That like, wait, I didn't get this far, especially as a black person in this world. We're the lucky ones to make it even where we are sitting at this table. I didn't, this is not designed for me to just be like, mm-hmm. this is it. Wow. Absolutely. So I left and I started my own business. What, what was like the moment then where you were like, wait, this is not where I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. You've been very open-minded, I feel, in yeah. your career. And yeah. that gave you a lot of great skills. But where's the new yeah. What was that moment? Well, I think, and I've been very public about this. This is like something that the founding partners I started the business with are very aware of. It's like we fundamentally did not agree on how to run a company. Mm-hmm. So like we just had different values. There's nothing wrong with that. I think we thinks and we start companies that you have to stay in the company you started just because you started it. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, in my family, you know, my household was like, you dolls don't quit. Mm-hmm. Right. Like my dad was an athlete. My brother was an athlete. There was like this, like you don't quit mentality. And so I spent a lot of time trying to change my founding partners and they spent a lot of time trying to change me. And it just got to a place where it was like, if you want to run the company like this, you're the majority shareholder. Like you can, mm-hmm. I'm the one who has to leave. Yeah. So we just had truly different values. Like they want people in the office at eight 30 in the morning. I'm like, we're not a bank. Like we don't need to be doing this, but you know what? They can do that. This is like, they're with the majority shareholders. They a hundred percent can run their company. Exactly. Like however the hell they want. And I think that's a mistake we make often that like, we have to change how this company is running and we're going to go in. And that like black women, like we have already so much on our plates and we take these types of burdens on when like, no white man is like, I'm going to change this place. They're like, no, I'm going somewhere else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard it said like that. Yeah. But it makes so much sense. I mean, so many of us in our careers were there and we feel like we are holding the whole black community. Yes. Back. And then we go in and we try to like change these corporate structures mm-hmm. and they don't want us to change. Like they don't know. And so it's like building your own thing. Even at business school, people are like, Oh, it's so crazy that you're an entrepreneur. I'm like, I cannot listen to a white man tell me what to do. Yeah, exactly. No, done. Not happening. I gotta go. Gotta go. It's yeah, yeah. yeah, So then did you start immediately after that? So I it was that, and then I just had a couple moments where I was I started to question like, is social media values aligned for me? Do I want to contribute to something that I actually think is causing a lot of harm in the world? Like is being attached to my phone all day and all night because my job is on my phone, something I want for myself. Like these are all the questions I like really got into. And I know your listeners like, like tangible things. Mm-hmm. Yes. I sent my family, not my dad. Cause he was like, I love him to death, but I was like, he's going to try to get me to stay. Cause we don't quit in our mm-hmm. house. You know, I was like, everyone can know about him. No one tell him. <laughs> no one tell him. Love you, dad. He knows this already. We're years off from this. But no one was allowed to tell him until like I was out the door. That was like a familial agreement down to my grandma, who I knew was like going to be the one to slip up. And like no one told him. Calendar invite of my last day. 
and calendar invite of my resignation day. So I read about how much like quitting and moving on is actually a product of peer accountability, not about being like a self-starter. And so like the, the pressure that like we have to go through these things on our own is usually what holds us back from doing them. And quitting is like a huge thing to take on by yourself, right? You're like, I'm radically changing my life. Like I'm starting over my, how am I going to pay my bills? Like, oh my God, do I have to get started again and go into a company and like do all that bullshit that we all hate icebreakers. I'm like, I don't want to do an icebreaker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Icebreakers are traumatic. So traumatic. I'm like, I don't know what my favorite color is. Or my fun fact. Yeah, my fun fact. No. Like, uh. Yeah. And I was going through all of that. And then I read this article about like peer accountability and what feels like singular moments. And so I highly recommend if you want to quit your job, set your calendar invite for your resignation date with your friends on it, your family, whoever you trust and set your like last day. Mm-hmm. And so I did both those things and I was like, okay, I got to make it work. Wow. Yeah. That's a really cool piece of advice. I yeah. Think. It's yeah. just tangible, yeah. you know? And it was like, I think it was, I think I decided and sent that calendar invite in July and like my stock vested there like November something Mm -hmm. and so like everything was designed around it was months later like I think people also think it has to be immediate like it was like four months later five months later it was a tough four or five months let me fucking tell you when you know you're quitting and you have to hold on it's like we've been there yeah I was like I gotta get the hell out of here but I knew that if I left it to myself it wouldn't happen Mm. Oh my gosh, I get this question all the time. Everyone's like, yeah. do you know when it's time to quit or whatever? Yeah. And I think even that advice that it doesn't have to be in two weeks, you don't have to decide, like, I'm leaving now or whatever. I yeah. quit. Like, I knew I was going to quit in October and I left in February. Yeah, and yeah. It's like, that's fine. That's too, fine. Because you got to plan things. Yeah, for 100%. So I really like 100%. That. Oh, and so then, did you take some time off for yourself or did you immediately I did. have clients? I had two clients lined up to start. Mm -hmm. So also highly recommend you don't have to jump like, and you also don't have to set yourself up with your same salary, like know your basic needs, except that you're going to have to probably make some financial sacrifices. So I was like, I'm not going to get my hair done as much as I usually, you know, you just like go through your budget sheets of like what you're going to sacrifice. And I found two consulting clients that like was going to cover my basic needs Mm -hmm. so that I could figure out what I wanted to do. But in between starting them, I took about like six weeks off mm. and I went to Europe. I went to Paris. I spent most of it by myself intentionally. And I just, excuse my language, like fucked around and did absolutely nothing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, really? Like I had saved up enough money to give myself this freedom. Again, planning your quitting allows for you to do that. When you just walk in and you're like, today. You're pretty screwed. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. But like, you can plan these things. Absolutely. You really can. I so, I yeah. I in Paris all the time. Uh, me too. Gosh, love me that. too. Oh my God. Yeah. And so then how did you decide to build your own business instead of going back? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the honest answer is I, I did go back. I tried going back for about a year in corporate America. I got a big, big offer to be um, a VP of social strategy at a huge agency went right back to like corporate work structures that I wasn't going to change. And, you know, that was the icing on the cake for me. of like, I am never in social media again. Like I'm never working in corporate structures again. Like I don't care how much money I'm getting paid. Like it actually affirmed that like money cannot buy you happiness. (laughs) I I hate that realization. I was like, I'm making more money than I've like ever made. And I'm miserable. 
different kind of miserable. It's actually sometimes I think like the bigger company you work for, at least I have found like it's easier to like leave at five and you can find ways to psych yourself into thinking it's going well. Mm-hmm. Smaller startups is really hard because you're so in it and there's not, you can't like hand your work off to anyone. But after that experience, I went full time, doubled down and building my own company. Started out with two people who had been at Museum of Ice Cream with me and also had left for the same reasons. And then we just started slowly growing and figuring it out. And the reality is like I had never owned a creative agency before. I'd never really operated as a CEO before. And so I believe in slow growth. You know, we're only six people now. I've been around for four years. We flex to like 10, 15 with freelancers usually. So maybe 10, 15 most of the time, but six full time. And like I've turned down money to raise. I'm just like, I'm not, I have no desire to be a big creative agency. And I have no desire to get caught in that hamster wheel again. Because I know it doesn't work for me. I uh, I just feel like not enough people say that. Yeah. Because we have like Instagram, obviously. I yeah. feel like, do you think turning off from social media has helped you like temper your idea of like that level of success or whatever, or like not, yeah. not comparing yourself to others as much? Yeah. I mean, like I have always, I went to, I went to boarding school in, Chelsea. oh yeah, in Italy when I was a kid, 15, not a kid. And I was, it got rid of FOMO for me. Cause like, I don't know. I was like, I'm so far away. Like I've, I'm not around my friends. Like I'm in another country. I don't speak this language. That kind of like fear of missing out or looking at, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Like, I don't know. I really lost that. Cause I felt so removed. This was like pre Instagram. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it just taught me a lot about like, don't pay attention to that type of stuff. Nonetheless, I find if anything, my like critique or belief about people in social is like everyone's making shit up that's what that's what like being on so like leaving working and so i like i was like i'm making my job is to make shit up about other brands and companies yeah you know what i mean i'm like is this the best product in the world like i don't really think so like you know what i mean so once i like quit working in social strategy completely and now we're just branding and design i just like radically accept when i see things on social that like it's not real Mm -hmm. so i don't compare myself to like you know all of that no i'm like whatever if anything i just wish people were instagram i'm like whatever like be your most like fake version of yourself like who cares like we're past the point of like realism on instagram in my opinion real like yeah we're, it's absolutely. just like it's an aesthetic driven platform mm-hmm. tiktok is where people are much more real like youtube is where people can like long form storytell and like really get into the narrative and showcase their creativity linkedin is I don't know what LinkedIn is. I, I find LinkedIn it, like yeah. is like I find it hilarious. You know what I mean? They are like they're in their own little world over there, like just writing these long, long, form, like crazy stuff. It's hilarious, and I'm like, who cares? <laughs> you know what Who's I mean? Scrolling through LinkedIn like for fun, for fun, I yeah. Think. And everyone has the same format, and you're just like, thanks. <sighs> <laughs> Like, I just laugh when I'm on LinkedIn. There are a couple of people I really, really like. Mm. There's some really interesting, like, creators on LinkedIn who are storytelling in a really unique way. Yeah. And the people who are super honest on LinkedIn, I appreciate. Yeah. But, yeah, like, my, like, FOMO with social is out the window since leaving. Long answer that. to your question. No, but I, like, I think that's a good, it's a good reminder. Yeah. <laughs> that it's all fake. It's literally, it's literally all, fake. all fake. It's all fake. It's all fake. No one's telling the truth. Do you have I, any favorite TikTokers? Oh my God, no, because my TikTok is like fully like pranks, animals, <laughs> Billy on the street, and like some crazy shit my siblings have sent me. <laughs> I love that. Like, 
it's just absolute nonsense. Like I just sit in my bed and hysterically laugh, and that's how I design the algorithm to be. Exactly. You know, yes. We have to design our algorithm. A hundred percent. I'm like, send me your prank videos. Yeah. Send me your historical deep dives on random shit. Hundred percent. Like love. I don't even know if it's real. You know what I mean? That's a good question, and it probably isn't. So, yeah, yeah, like I'm like I can neither confirm or deny because I saw this on TikTok. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, you read it somewhere. Yeah, you read it somewhere. That. Don't read that then. Okay, we chatted about a little bit of burnout for you, and I uh, would love to know what's something you would tell yourself at that moment when you like were feeling the most burnout, or when you decided to to leave. Mm-hmm. Like, what would the piece of advice be? I mean. Two things like one is just simply not worth it. Sacrificing your health for capitalism? No, thank you. Period. You know what I mean? Like in the end, like high level, that was the thesis. That's what I, my 26 year old self had no concept of what that meant. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just, I just was not there yet. Right. Like I was so caught up in that world and being 30 under 30 and all the other things that I did at that age in my life that in the end, I'm like, 30 under 30 doesn't come with $10 million. So I'm not sure why I like hustled. It's not worth it. (laughs) Like one of my good friends at school, she just got 30 under 30 for finance and she was like, and I'm broke. So you don't even, they don't even send you the plaque. You still have to buy it. You still have to buy it. (laughs) She was like, they don't even have enough space for us at the gallery. Literally. Yeah. Literally. So truly that's like, to my younger self, I would just, I had set, my health was, it, I was in dire straits. Like I had cystic acne, panic attacks, terrible pancreatitis. I was going from doctor to doctor who were all telling me relatively the same thing. And I was not listening to them. Um, you know, I had an endoscopy done. Like, I mean, like I was really like giving myself munchausen's being like, I have a disease. Like there's has to be something severely wrong with me because I can't think straight. My stomach is killing me. I'm like breaking out in ways I never had. And I eventually was like, oh, I was, I was like, this is a white doctor. They're not taking black, me, me as a black person, seriously. Like when all, and then I finally got to a black GI who was like, I'm not practicing racism with you. You know what I mean? He was like, from one black person to another black person, there's nothing wrong with you. Like sit down. Like you can keep paying me to like do these tests. But you need to like go home and like really think about your life. And he was like, and I can't really tell you, like, I don't have the grounds. I don't know you enough to tell you like what that is. But there's something in your life that's causing this level of stress that's actually like killing you alive. And I was like, okay, my brother, thank you. You know what I mean? I was like, I I believe you. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. You you're definitely telling me the truth. Like, even though every other doctor told me the same thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until he said it, Dr. Carl McDougall, great GI, if anyone needs him in New York. Um, We'll link him. Yeah, we'll link him. I'm dead. He's like, who is this? This is years ago. (laughs) I'm dead. This is a crazy black lady saying I saved her life. Okay. (laughs) But it wasn't until I had that, you know, met with him and had that moment of like, I mean, I was destroying my body. And I was young to be destroying my body that way. And people underestimate what high levels of stress does to us. It tr- it causes disease. It causes disorders. Pancreatitis is a disorder. Mm-hmm. And it was caused by my like extreme stress on my body for a prolonged period of time. And all of that went away when I left that job. Mm-hmm. And so 
to anyone burning out, what I would also challenge everyone to think about, and that was the sort of the self-work I had to do after, is burnout is a symptom of like an identity crisis. Like the reality is, is like when you have really strong boundaries and like know who you are and know what works for you and doesn't work for you, you don't let your job and other people push you to that extreme. But when that shit's shaky, for whatever reason, it's so easy to fall into burnout. So you got to like really stay true to who you are and like do that soul work. Because the other reality too is like, we don't have like a, any parameters around people bringing their own trauma into the workplace. Mm. Like there's a lot of traumatized bosses out here who are like projecting their own personal experiences onto their employees. And so if you're not like grounded, like solid in yourself, you take that trauma and you internalize it. And all of a sudden you're like, working overtime for this person that like really needs to be in therapy and like it has nothing to do with you exactly but I didn't know that at 26 of course not no one had taught that to me you know I come from two parents who grew up with no money and like are wall street bankers and did very well for themselves but they were like you work like that that was like the household I grew up in like they were wall street traders like you just worked I didn't see my parents take vacation because their whole trauma was not going back to how they grew up. So despite me growing up in a privileged way and not having that trauma, I was taught that lesson. So I didn't know at 26 that like any of this was happening. But I, when I left Museum of Ice Cream and did the soul work and like really figured out who I was and what I wanted, it made the ease of like falling into those types of traps. I stopped doing it. Like I was like, oh no, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. Like na- now, clients are like, can I have your number? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> not to no yeah, like absolutely. no yeah Wait, so what were some of those ways you did that soul work like were you journaling were you in therapy like what all of like? the above yeah journaling therapy meditation um i did a round of ketamine treatment which i highly recommend it's life-changing um what else did i do breath work i was like you know my sister jokes that like she was like you would have joined a cult if you were living in utah at that point that's where i was like you know what I mean? yeah, she's in her wellness era i was in my wellness era <laughs> is that how you got into running it's how i got into running it's how i like really took the time to figure out like who the hell was i what did i want in my life what did i want for my sense of self how i spent my time And then I also realized like, wait a minute, not everyone works like type A New Yorkers do. I don't have to like reinvent the wheel. I just have to emulate other successful companies and societies that like don't work the way that I was working. Mm -hmm. Like I have a four day work week now within my business and I'm just following what Sweden has been doing for decades. Everyone's like, that's genius. I'm like, it's really not like, I'm (laughs) thank you. But like, I'm not actually reinventing the wheel at all i'm just applying what works in other places to how i operate now and did you you grew up in new york because your parents born and raised yeah then i guess it's like such a part of your identity you have to completely hatch from to do it completely completely so like you said you run your business very differently from a type a new yorker yeah you have i think you guys have like that four weeks off six weeks off five weeks off yeah love that and yeah four-day work week Uh like Why did you decide to implement this? And like, how could other businesses do that if they want to, or if other entrepreneurs are? Yeah, well, I started to do a lot of research on employee output and what, what like really challenging a lot of these theories that we have that like people have to work on a nine to five. I started to understand like, how did we even get to a nine to five? Like people have to work five days a week. Like just really just started 
innocently questioning how did we create these systemic constructs and like why are we all abiding by them mm. eight hour workday comes from the industrial Re- revolution we needed to have it was lawless you had children working in factories and people working 18 hour days we needed to have a mandate that was how long ago do you know what I mean? yes. <laughs> like, literally why are we still operating under this construct that was built very much needed but not also considerate of different types of work. So that was very much designed for the like blue collar hands-on worker. There was no like consideration for a creative mind in that wasn't a job, right? A very select few, a very select white privileged few could be creative in 1920. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the construct there was built off of something that is not applicable to my day to day and to the, my peers day to day. I recognize that's also immense privilege. I started to also think about for myself at what points when I was working in corporate America, was I the most anxious and how can I challenge that encounter that? And I realized it was Sunday night. I always had an 8.30 Monday morning meeting at Museum Vice Group. And so like I spent my Sundays working to prepare for that meeting and then didn't sleep, stressed about getting to that meeting. And so all of a sudden this day of rest was a day of work and I was working six days a week. So I thought to myself, well, what if we started Monday at 12. What would that like half of our clients are West Coast anyways. So if we start Monday at 12, you still have to sign on in the morning, but like no meetings before 12. How would that change the psyche of my Sunday night anxiety and my team's Sunday night anxiety? It's literally like, first of all, it's made no impact, no impact in our output. We are still successful. We No client has ever been like, I only meet on Mondays at 9 a.m. So this isn't going to work. Yes. Literally. Like, has never, no one, no has, one has ever said that. Like, yes. ever. And so we don't even have to tell our clients. We just send them the times are available. And it's always Monday after 12. Mm-hmm. And that's radically changed all of our lives. That means you can have a nice Sunday. You wake up. Depending on your workload, maybe you start your day earlier. Maybe you're like, you know what? I didn't work this weekend. Great. Like, I'm going to wake up at 7 and get to my, you know, laptop at 8.30 and knock out the work that I have due for 12. Mm-hmm. And and it's just these simple changes. Same with Friday. Who the hell wants to meet on Friday at 4 o'clock? That's like my personal hell. Nobody. Yeah. So we close the office at 2 p.m. on Friday. So it's a four-day work week by like yeah. half days on Mondays and Fridays. But it's just, we. it's not impacted us at all like literally at all and people are just happier absolutely and it's so simple i like that it's like you're not like you said earlier you're like i'm not the genius here like no this is just i'm how people should be working yeah like summer yeah. fridays right like mm-hmm. why do we live how i've worked every company i've worked for had a summer friday mm-hmm. right it's like no mm-hmm. work after 2 30 or 3 p.m i'm like okay summer fridays all year round yeah it, that's you know that's what what I mean? like like, see that's literally what we um like we, I did that at Google and then we switched, when I switched to YouTube, they didn't have summer Fridays and I was oh, like wow. there in the middle. I was like at 4 PM. I was like, why are you talking to me? Yeah. No, like, no, no. Terrible. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, a little bit about, it sounds like you've been very ambitious, even though I do like how the, the way you structured your, you know, career was very open-minded. Like mm-hmm. I want to try all these new things, but like you're family saying you don't quit like Mm -hmm. there's a level of ambition there did you ever feel a stigma because of that or was it just sort of something you have to do when you're black that's a great question um I think a lot of it is I mean I think it's very much connected to an African-American identity that like you have to be the best and whether it's taught or you just embody it because you witness it or you see it 
I think I internalized at a very young age, especially because I come from privilege and I have parents who, you know, defied all odds to get where they were that like, not to quote fucking Spider-Man, but like, you know, with that great responsibility, like I have great power. Like I felt like I had to do this. I had to be the best. And I realized that like being the best for who? I didn't need to prove to my parents that I was like, great. Mm-hmm. So who was I trying to prove? I was really just trying to do that for myself because I, every single like public accolade I've gotten has not fulfilled me. So I knew it wasn't for that. It had to be for me, some sort of insecurity I had in myself. And I think a lot of it is systemic and structural, right? Of like what black people have to do. I was in Accra over the holiday um, and I was on a trip with a, very close family friend who gathered a bunch of us to come. He's half Ghanaian, half German. And we went to uh, this slave dungeon in Cape Coast. And the leader who took us through the, the, the dungeon said that the biggest takeaway we should walk away from is that we are not descendants of slaves. We are ascendants of survivors. Oh my God. And I was like, well, fuck, if that had been the reframing I had grown up with and we had all grown up with, like, how would we feel right now? When you're told you're a descendant of slaves, it's like, you got to do things. Versus like, what grace would you feel if you're like, oh, I'm an ascendant of a survivor. Like, I'm good. And that's been my shift. That's the shift. But it wasn't what was taught to me. I think... I'll find that guy's name to put in it. Because I was like, ah. <laughs> it's like when you said that, it is I such feel, a reframe. I had, I feel like there's that, I read this book this year called The Perfectionist Guide to mm. Losing Control. Mm. Oh my God, it's like life changing. But there's a chapter in there where she's like, you, a lot of us are perfectionists because we don't have self-worth. We have self-esteem yeah. because, I mean, look at the resume. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yes, we yeah. don't have self-worth mm-hmm. because we're trying to prove something. Mm-hmm. So what an impactful statement that I think all of us are going to take with us because I feel like they, like the proving to ourselves that we are worthy, we don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. I really like the way that that was reframed. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious now if you will oblige yes. that we switch to superficial topics. Let's do it. 100%. Please. Yeah. Because you clearly, you're a material girl. Just like, <laughs> is that, is that yes. something you would define yourself as? I like nice things. Okay. Here. <laughs> All right. Same here. Same here. I'm not pushing that way. Um, and I'm obsessed with your engagement party. I don't oh, think you. Great. Successful women. No, I'm like I'm proud of that engagement party, and I recommend doing it like that for everybody. For everybody, yeah. Well, like, so my dad has a huge family. My fiance's family. His mom is one of like eight. His dad's one. I'm the I'm the list of eight. Really? Wow. Yeah. So big, (laughs) big families, and I, I just I've been to big weddings, and I've really decided a long time ago I didn't want for want that for myself mm-hmm. I'm a private person and the idea of being so vulnerable in front of like people it's one thing like obviously you're gonna have people I don't know listening to this podcast but I'm not sitting in a room with 500 people talking like this mm-hmm. and so we decided like what if we said to our parents they could have whoever they wanted at the engagement party so that we could have a small wedding Ooh. and so they agreed that's genius and so we had a cocktail cocktail 
became like a insane rager from 8 p.m. until two in the morning. And people could come and go as they please. We let everybody know. We set, I read The Art of Gathering, which I highly recommend. And we set a purpose for the for the engagement party, which was how like letting our busy, successful group of people we love and care about let loose for the evening. Mm-hmm. And the theme was uh, like a Studio Fifty Four inspired party, not like costumes. So I had a I sent a mood board, and at the end of it, it said no sweatpants, no jeans, no costumes. Period. And we followed up. We had, uh, we also let people know that every vendor we hired was a person of color, queer folk, um, or a woman. We, there were no, like, we just were intentional about every single decision and people just had a really good time. Good. And I feel like that's, I haven't heard it like that. I feel like people talk about parties or weddings or all that with so much stress. Yeah. And I think that having that purpose probably like really helped you ground your it, team. It grounded the party, grounded the team. And also just like for us, it became clear what this party was about, right? Like it was not our wedding. It frankly was just an opportunity for like our families to have people they want there. My dad invited his, literally his foot doctor. Like he invited and he was like, rock loves you. I was like, okay, whoever you want. You know what? Like, I am not going to fight with you on this. I'm obsessed with that. You know, I'm going to let you bring who, if Rock Positano, your foot doctor, claims he loves me and wants to come to the vacation party, let him. Let him show up. Oh my gosh. So could you talk to us about your relationship then? Mm -hmm. When did you start dating? Has that helped you in your, like, career, been a place of support? Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. Like, I, I, I mean, I love my fiance. I will say to any career-driven human, find someone who supports your ambition and find someone who like genuinely wants you to succeed Mm -hmm. at all terms and all phases of life. I've dated a lot of wonderful people who, when push came to shove, I think were either intimidated by my ambition or felt jealous of my ambition or ultimately had an idea that after a certain phase, I would my ambition would maybe subside. Mm. And I'm with somebody, my life partner is, he is just the most supportive and like loves that about me, loves my ambition. And it took a long time in my self-exploration to understand like, what do I want in a partner? What are the sacrifices and compromises I'm willing to make and what I'm not willing to make? And having someone who wasn't totally supportive of like, I'm going to have a million ideas and a million projects and I see big things for myself and I'm not going to stop doing them. And I intend on doing them when I have kids and when I'm married. And it's just never going to change. Once I accepted that was what I want in partnership, I found the person. And so you feel like having to have that acceptance, though, was like a big key to finding that Yeah, person? like yeah. I, don't, I, didn't, I don't know if I knew that that was like so core to my... I think I attributed ambition and like working hard as the same thing. Mm. And I don't do that anymore. That makes sense. You know, like they're so different. Yeah. They, well, yeah, there's yeah. people who are not ambitious just, that just work hard because- 100%, 100%. Mm-hmm. And then there's people who like are the most ambitious people and they like never hold corporate jobs. They never like climb the ladder. They're not, that's not what they're- Exactly. Dedicated to. Absolutely. I appreciate that so much. Okay, we're running low on time. So yeah, you're good. we'll get to the end of things, which I'm sad about because I could ask you so many questions <laughs> today. But I also, as I said before, people love a tangible piece of advice. So what's one or many resources that have helped you? Well, I would say one in your career, like exponentially, Mm -hmm. and then one in your personal development and like coming into your own. 
Yeah. So for personal development, reading The Biggest Leap by Gay Hendricks was like a radically life-changing book for me. And same with The War of Art. These were two books that really I felt like got into my psyche and understanding like I could be accomplishing all of these things, but was I actually accomplishing what I wanted? Mm-hmm. Was I actually pursuing my creativity, my biggest dreams, or was I just being cowardly by being like what they're what they identify as like creative adjacent? Mm. So their whole thesis is like a lot of people who have desires to write a book or a screenplay or to be a director, like end up in marketing. And it's like a safer way to be creative. And that book kicked my ass. And I was like, okay, I am going back mm-hmm. to like being the creative I actually want to be and not just being creative adjacent. Yeah. Um, so those two texts were life-changing yeah another personal book that is radically important to my career and me is I love to host I think gathering people is is essential to one having an opportunity to learn and grow from other people's experiences but also how I feel very fulfilled and so reading the art of gathering and learning about how most people host is actually the opposite of creating spaces of putting people together like her whole thesis is don't be a lazy host don't just expect that people will just start talking. Don't just expect that like the little things that you don't think of are, are a big deal aren't impacting the flow of the night. Um, so she talks about like the host should never get up mid conversation with the dishes to clean mm. because it actually totally disrupts the flow of the conversation. Little things like that have. Ooh. Yes. Don't be afraid to like actually like push the domino to start the conversation. Ask your guests like, something specific, have a topic. Don't just let people like, yeah, you can do that. But if you really want to create an experience for people, don't be a chill host. That's her thesis. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That read that book. Is my like love language. Yeah. Oh, I like, love my, that. I, yeah. She knows because I'm always making her go somewhere. <laughs> like I love those things. I feel like yeah. that book, I'm, you recommend oh. this story. <laughs> oh my God. That book is life changing. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I love to end with rapid fire questions. Yeah. Just somebody can get to know you a little bit more. Maybe you know, see where you can go. Mm-hmm. Where, what they can identify about with you. Mm-hmm. So are you ready for that? Yes. Love to see it. Okay. First one is appetizers or dessert? Appetizer. You're so real. Uh, favorite way to pamper yourself? Massage without fail. Love. Where are you going in Sydney? I go all over, but I go to, I'm like scared to say this. Dicky keep it. Keep yeah. You know what? Nowhere. I don't go anywhere. Instagram or TikTok? Instagram. What's your most important self-care practice? Meditation and journaling, both of them. Mm-hmm. Do you do that every day? I try to, yeah. Yeah, I love to see that. I feel like we, I need the reminder to do it more because you still have it the way my legs did this week. What's your favorite TV show of all time? Oh my God, I couldn't answer that. I have so many. <laughs> so many. So okay, many. Recently. I mean, Succession for me this year. Yeah. That's the only show that can be all white people, and I'm like, I'll watch this. It was hard for me at first because it's hard for me to keep track of the white yeah. people. But yeah. Then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm so- like, you crazy white yes. people. I'm like, happy to watch a show about crazy white people. You know what I mean? That and like White Lotus. Love yes. Doing you know that. what? I just texted my sister this. I was like, Mike White is the only person that can consistently cast all white cast. And I'm like, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. It's not crazy. There's no other show. I'm the first person to be like, ridiculous. But Mike White, I'm like, okay. Jennifer Coolidge is a national treasure. So I'm okay with this. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite book or podcast? Um, Book. Definitely like the one I said, The Biggest Sleep. I think Big Magic is an amazing book. Life-changing. Um, That book was amazing. I don't read enough fiction. 
So mm-hmm. I wish I could give fictional recommendations, but like I'm always reading self-help books. Same. Like always. Same. I have a big, um, so I started dating recently, like guys will come over and I have to like turn the books around. I'm like, I don't want you to see that I have a Barnes and Noble's entire self-help section in my room right now. <laughs> yes. So I need to put this away. So I need to read more fiction. Yeah. God, that's like actually on my list this year is like read more fiction. Yeah. I'll see if they can, like the girls need to give us some recommendations. Yeah. 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 You know? Okay. The last question that I like to ask all of my guests is finish the sentence with something that you want young people or even your younger self to know. You are too smart for. You are too smart for letting the ignorance of other people guide your self-worth. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she got us. She got us. That's a, you know what that's I mean? A, like, good one. like yeah. I say ignorance in the sense of like most people don't really know anything about us. Right. Like and but we let what other people think guide how we feel about ourselves. And like most people are ignorant. That's just the reality. So like, who cares what they have to say? So like, it's a lesson I fear I'm learning every day. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, know? you so much. For Thank that. you for having me. These wow. are great. Oh, I'm right. so glad. Like, this is, I love these types of questions. They're I'm so thoughtful. So well, of course. I mean, like I said, I've been so excited to have you. Girl, there are people who ask like, they're like in 2011 you were i'm like just why don't you just read my linkedin actually (laughs) 